This is the When You Die podcast. If it has to do with death and dying, we're talking about it. Today's host is Kelly McLean. My guest today is Jill Shock. We've had Jill on the program before. She is also known as the Death Doula LA. That's right. She's a doula for the dying. If you don't know what that is, imagine a doula or midwife for someone coming into this world. Jill helps them on the other way out. Despite the fact that she is young, Jill has been a death doula for over a decade and heads up a team of hospice nurses in Southern California. We came together to talk about the Endwell Symposium 2017, which I attended last month. The Endwell Symposium is designed for the end-of-life experience. It was a really incredible one-day symposium in beautiful and delicious San Francisco. Many of the top minds in palliative care as well as design for end-of-life care and public health came together. It was an inspiring gathering, and this is my little review because I wanted to share all the incredible information that I absorbed. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the When You Die podcast, Jill. Thank you. This is your second time on this podcast, I believe. Um, Yes. You are here as our resident death expert and commentator. (laughs) All right. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. So you and I went to the death salon together in September, Mm -hmm. where you may or may not have fallen in love. (laughs) I did. In Seattle. (laughs) Um, And... We then did a podcast about it in review. Mm -hmm. So I thought it would be fun to have you review the Endwell Symposium that I just went to, even though you were not there, which, by the way, made it significantly less fun. I really wish I could have been, but (laughs) timing didn't work out. As I said, it was, you know, we went to the death salon. This was kind of more the dying salon. So at the Mm -hmm. death salon, we talked a lot about what do you do with the body after you die? What's best for the planet? Mm -hmm. What do you do with a pet's body Right. And those kinds of questions and more societal approach to the topic of death. Mm-hmm. And there were taxidermied animals and it had like a little more gothic kind of vibe, you know, yes. all the girls with dark hair and bangs. <laughs> this was a totally different crowd. And if that was the death salon, I do feel like this was the dying salon because they talked about um, end of life care. It was really more how to end well, as the yeah. name says, um, rather than looking at it from a kind of more logical, literal point of view of what makes sense or surrounding death. It was it was a lot more of a tearjerker well, yeah. day. Yeah, I can imagine. And also, you know, it really heads up the problem. How are we going to die, you know, in this, like, system that we have set up here in the United States? And I think that's sort of what the Endwell project looks like, how we're dying mm-hmm. and um, how to make that whole lot better. Yeah, exactly. So so to kick off the whole thing, we had BJ Miller, mm. who is a physician and um, cutie pie, and <laughs> he's someone who almost died when he was young and has thus devoted his life to death and dying cause, mm-hmm. palliative care. Yes. And he's kind of become the poster boy for this whole movement, the darling of the whole thing. Yeah, I really really would like to be involved in that Zen hospice project that he has going and, you know, coming from a palliative care physician, that's huge. Cause like we said in the past, it has to start with the doctors. It really does. Right. Exactly. So there was this talk about how doctors, because it was mostly 
doctors that were there. Good. It was also, it was doctors and it was design people who are working with the doctors to help, you know, design a system that makes sense. And it was public health people and yeah. it was people like myself who mm-hmm. have lost someone and have a story and then find themselves kind of interested. Yeah. Um, so one thing that they talked a lot about was that doctors view dying as failure. They view death as that they didn't do their job. Mm-hmm. And so that whole premise makes everything else go kind of haywire. Right, yeah. And you have you have people sitting there thinking, oh man, I didn't survive or I'm not going to survive. So they sort of give up on their death, you know, because it has a depressing tone before they even look at it and... You know, right. see what they can do with it. And it's not the doctor's fault. That's how they're trained, right? First, do no harm. Everything they do is just, you know, giving us more time and, you know, until death. But we're never going to beat it. Exactly. <laughs> and so people were taking issue with terms like, and I know these bother you as well, like survivor, mm-hmm. fighter, yes. warrior. Yes. Um, and kind of really celebrating people that do beat cancer, as we should, because wow, And yet, it doesn't mean you're not a fighter and not a warrior, you know. No one is not going to fight, you know. That's the whole thing. It's like, you think the person that died didn't do everything that they could? No, you know. So, I've always told you, cancer is cancer. It just, it it gets you. There's nothing you can do other than remodel the systems that we're treating it and working with it, you know, especially, and then adding the people who are dying, giving them more options. And that's the good thing about palliative care is it sort of covers that end side of cancer for those who aren't surviving. Right. Yeah. Can you, can you define palliative care for people that probably know the term, but maybe don't know the real specifics of it? So it's really in in a broader term, it's more, um, of a long-term care, you know, under a professional team, people who have longer, maybe more chronic conditions, but it's also sort of a shade of gray between, you know, being, you know, going from health into dying really and, you know, and then later hospice care. Um, so it's sort of a step towards end of life care, yeah. but it's also really generally keeping a long-term eye on a condition that needs to be watched for like right. cancer. And it's, it's making an effort to make the patient comfortable and, right. um, happy. Right. right. And Treating so this symptoms. was, this mm-hmm. was something cool that redefined it for me. BJ mm. Miller said, Palliative care should not just be at the end of life. He said every patient mm-hmm. for anything, big or small, should receive palliative care. It is palliative. It is right. palliative. And he's like, and that will take away the stigma and taboo because the second you say palliative, uh, some cancer patients might cringe because they think it, it's a death sentence, which right. is not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really sort of ups your level of care in a way. You know, you you sort of pay attention to to different things. Um, so it's, it not, it's not always death and dying. It just sort of depends. Um, yeah. So I thought that that was an interesting theme and I, I saw that you liked a slide that I posted of BJ. He had a slide up that said, you know, what should palliative care be? Anything you can, and then expletive (laughs) imagine. Yeah. 
And that's really it. And that's, you know, why in the broader terms, it's just like care over a long period of time, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and it, you know, you have to be creative with your health care. You have choices to make and options to make. And really, we're just trying to destigmatize death and dying to put it in the scale of, okay, we have more choices and more options for this too. Yeah. Can you give us an example of when you have a client um, who is at the end of their life, how you might get creative uh, or approach helping them think through what they actually want and need to, to support them at that time. Yeah. So, and really, I also just want to say that the ideas are enough sometimes because depending on anybody's condition, you know, we might not have enough time to facilitate their wildest dreams. Um, but that is the idea, right? To be like, Hey, what do you want to do with your care? We know that there is potentially limited time, And, you know, sort of asking people what they want to do with that. Yeah. Um, And people will do the wildest things given the green light of like saying, this is totally okay and we support you and we're going to help you do this. Um, So. Yeah. And then it can also be on the other end of the spectrum from wild. It can be like, I am a really, a person who really appreciates being clean. I want to always be kept extremely clean. And if if it's no longer in my power to do that, I I don't want to smell. I want my loved ones to want to be close to me and like those kinds of small wishes. Yeah. And those are, you know, those are the kinds of things that are even your basic want needs that'll be outlined in an advanced healthcare directive, which is a huge thing in palliative care, knowing what somebody wants. Right. Um, So that's something that you create mm -hmm. beforehand. Hopefully. Hopefully. Do you have yours? I don't actually. Cobbler's kid goes with no shoes. Right. Well, (laughs) I've, I've had to sign like a pulsed form, you know, once the DNR full code before going into surgery. And of course that was like full code because I was like 24, but you know, yeah. I, sh- I should, I, yeah, I should get on that. <laughs> well, it's funny when you're our age because you don't think you need to think about it. Yeah. So I much. don't have a family or anything or like a significant health problem. So kind of as a free agent, but if something were to happen, you just never know. I could get leukemia and right. like start going down that journey. And then of course I would fill yeah. one out almost immediately. Right. Of course. Um, yeah, well I thought BJ was generally pretty inspiring, uh, to ask us to expand our minds. And there was a lot of talk, not just from him, but about, this isn't about improving the system. It's about totally throwing it out and it coming up with a new template that doesn't, doesn't look like what it looked like before. You have to, you have to disrupt the healthcare system. You know, the funding is a big problem. How people get paid is a big problem. How we treat you know, our employees. Right. Well, and then, then I didn't even, you know, think so much about this side of it, but there was a man there called Andrew McPherson, mm-hmm. um, who is a Washington DC DC based, uh, consulting and legal services guy. Essentially he works with politicians mm-hmm. around policy, around death and dying. Ooh. And he's a really cool guy who has a, a really great view on things. Um, and he made a lot of good jokes about how difficult it is working with politicians. Um, but he spoke about, you know, the kind of money that influences policy, big pharmaceuticals, 
medical companies, that kind of thing, um, and that that's what he's battling against. And the most luck he's had yeah. is is with personal stories. Yeah, and that was a theme of this as well. Was if we really want to change things, it has to go from being numbers on a piece of paper to to really powerful personal journeys to you to you. Yeah, exactly. You know, this, these people, it's happening to them. You have to listen to the people. Yeah. So part of this theme and and this guy, Andrew was part of the first section that was, let's talk about death. And it was really saying we can't get anywhere until this conversation becomes less taboo and goes from something societally that we shy away from or say, can we talk about something a little more pleasant, please, at the dinner table? <laughs> you know, yeah. societally, oh, yeah. we have to get over that. And then on a family one-to-one basis, we have to get over that as well. So so starting the conversation um, is kind of where it's at. And, you know, he said 2.4 million people die a year and in the in this country and we can do better yeah than we're doing yeah it's a hard topic to talk about i still don't think we've found that silver bullet on exactly how to unlock these conversations um so that's there's still something to that but absolutely like yeah i mean start I'm, talking more. I'm always all about the arts i feel like you know yeah i feel like podcasts and theater and film film and television music. and columns and music are a good way to open up the conversation cuz yeah. people have a hard time starting it and once it starts they often can go from there right but once the conversation starts he said he highlighted what he called the big gap and so he outlined four points that he thinks people want based on a huge study of people at the end of the, getting to the end of their lives. Mm-hmm. Number one was coordinated care in home. Yes. Which I'm sure isn't a shock to you. <laughs> yes. And we see a lot of those, those numbers for hospice and palliative care in the home rising every single year. Yeah. It's becoming more and more of a part of our culture. Yes. Because death, of course, was in the home for a very long time. Right. And only around the industrial age we did institutionalized it start to it. become mm-hmm. taken out. Right. Um, so people want coordinated care in home, but what they usually get is they get recycled in and out of hospitals. Yeah. Even, even at the point where they are very ill. And there was this woman here who is a journalist. Her husband had also been a journalist and uh, he got sick and she said the day after he died he had an appointment for chemo she had to cancel because they didn't really fully communicate to her that it was the end 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 and so this lack of communication made it so that their their last few months were a lot more painful than they needed to be with the yeah you know chemo that they didn't realize was just kind of palliative right so that Palliative chemo is such a tricky thing, and palliative chemo is not a different kind of chemotherapy. It will be the same drug or chemical that they're giving to the person who might have a chance of surviving. And so they offer palliative chemo as sort of like a Hail Mary for a cancer patient, and it's not always the best option. Um, What it might do is curb some of your symptoms. That's what it might do. But it comes with a whole 
I know it it's chemo certainly come with all of its own symptoms, right. right? And so the problem is not having a conversation and saying that, saying if you really want to try and do the hail mary, this is your option. Otherwise, why don't we turn our gaze to something else? And I'll tell you, they don't give you that part. And a lot of people take a chance that they think they have when they really don't. And it actually shortens and makes life a lot rougher around yeah. the end of life. Yeah. There were a number of stories that were to this theme by the way that oh, woman my is- own father went through that. Yeah. And even, that was really challenging for you to watch. And I even had that conversation. Yeah, so, you knew, so that must have been excruciating. Right, so even when you have the conversations, people still have it in their heads that they're making a choice because they want to be that survivor. Um, so you see, it's so much more complicated, and you don't know what you would do. Well, I know what I would do. I would not want to go through that at all because I'm a wimp. Um, so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you just, yeah, it's... It's still an individual's situation. Right. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest themes of this day, Mm because it was super long back-to-back, but just one day, um, was that you can, as a patient, you do have power and you do have rights, and as, as a family... Um, and you need you need to ask a lot of questions and really look into this stuff because you're so sensitive and vulnerable at that point right. that you just kind of do whatever they tell you. And uh, there were a lot of stories of people looking back going, oh, shucks, you know, I wish when I my dad that. died, when my husband, when I was sick with something, I wish I had had, you know, realized I had choices. Mm-hmm. There was a, a tale of a woman who um, gave her, uh, she, she had cervical cancer and she, they they were like surgery and they had it removed and then later they said oh by the way you can never have children now and and Surprise. she found out that was a choice she could have tried to just treat it without surgery and it was you know it may who knows what the outcome would have been but she was a very yes. um very bold woman who her name is Tori Fields yeah she needed to be able to make that choice i think sometimes the healthcare system will cut out the options that seem less helpful or darker or whatever. And um, we just have to empower the patients. I feel like we also need people floating around hospitals being like, you have choices, you have choices. Like just a sign or something in the room to remind people to ask questions. Totally. And that was one one thing that uh, somebody said actually was, there should just be a patient advocate. I think it's got to be you, Jill. (laughs) Choices. Um, there, there's gotta be a patient advocate. I mean, it, it yes. would be really good if there was someone who's not a doctor, <sighs> who's trained in talking to people about this kind of thing mm-hmm. and who is trained in talking to doctors and can kind of translate yes. <laughs> on some level and also, you know, help support their decision-making process and mm-hmm. help make sure that they're not falling through the cracks because that was a, one yeah. of the themes as well. There's a lot of little great. things that just fell through the cracks mm-hmm. or moments where there was also a story of a woman who uh, had worked in death and dying and she was damn sure she, want, she wanted her DNR. She had all her advanced directives very clear and she told all the doctors and all the nurses and still she made her kids print out the DNR and and tape it to her door. Mm-hmm. And when her kids were in the cafeteria... She her heart stopped, mm-hmm. and they 
did the full-on defibrillator. They coded her. They did the full thing. And the guy joked, luckily my mom was a very stubborn woman and she did not come back. And we were really happy for that. But the fact that they tried was totally infuriating to them because she had made it so clear. His name was Mark Gantz. And and it's a huge problem. That's a problem with that hospital. Yeah. And he said that they all felt really bad and they were like, I'm sorry, that's just what we do. Like that's generally, you know, that's generally what we do. And there's a culture of you don't want people to die on your shift. He said he really talked in depth with them and he realized that if someone dies on your shift, it's kind of like a shame, shame thing. Right. They have to try. And that's sort of the, you know, the theme in the hospital is that people go there to get better. And that's, you know, what separates it from that need for that in-home care. Because if your, you know, loved one's heart stops in home, it just does. Right. And that's it. Unless they call 911. But, you know, that's the point is that it's more natural and... It's done when it's done. Absolutely. Um, well, another thing BJ Miller said that I really appreciated was there's a difference between uh, curing and healing. Right. And he said someone can have an incurable disease that mm-hmm. you can no longer take away, but you can still heal them. Yes. And that it would be great if there was more of an emphasis mm. for doctors around healing as well as curing and, you know, healing when when curing is no longer possible. Oh, that'd be great. We'd have to start making a super breed of, of doctors, though, to be able <laughs> yeah. to be their own personal, like, therapist. The thing is, there's so many people, you know, who are there for these, you know, people right. along the way. And that can really be a part of that healing. Absolutely. You know, and, and just... Well, and even the doctor setting up, yeah. uh, you know, b- setting them up with someone who... Yeah. Telling them that there are such options. Yes. It's, yeah, that's a beautiful thing. We all need healing throughout our lives and it wouldn't be great if we could get that from healthcare too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that the Andrew McPherson politics guy said that I thought was interesting was he said, you know, our death, our death policies, these are, it's politics on our body. So, yes. you know, the old keep your laws off my body thing. He's oh, saying I do, that's as impossible, <laughs> actually. Like there are a lot of laws on our bodies and yes. he is out there fighting to try to make uh, them a little less limiting in terms of reasonable options. Okay. Yeah. So that could possibly also dip into like death with dignity stuff. It does stuff. dip into death. Yeah. I don't know if his work specifically does, but certainly the politics but the, on yeah, our the bodies politics, to do. Yeah. And just again, like what are our choices? And that, that bleeds a little bit into religions as well, you know, with Jehovah's Witnesses and things like that, blood transfusions, um, and hospitals going ahead and doing those against their wishes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Or like the coding thing. Yeah, it's interesting because it's just such a personal decision. Mm-hmm. Or a Catholic hospital not being able to offer the full spectrum of OBGYN needs. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that I think in this conversation about starting the conversation that really stuck with me was something, uh, a panel called Teaching Past the Taboo. Mm-hmm. And it was two women, Don Gross, who's an MD, PhD, and Jessica Zitter, who's an M- MD, MPH. And they 
did something together um, for their, they have teenagers and they started death ed, just like we have sex ed. And you and I have talked about this idea before and they said it was a huge success. The schools were really open-minded. So they did a pilot program in two schools. The kids loved it. They had their, their, they asked their teenagers, okay, what do we do to make this work? And they were like, first have candy involved. (laughs) Well, that's just a general (laughs) rule of thumb. Yeah. So they had candy involved and they came up with this this idea where, where there was a handful of jelly beans in front of each kid and, and then there was a big jar and they said, anyone who's lost a pet, put in an orange jelly bean. Anyone who's lost a parent, put in a blue jelly bean. Anyone mm. who's lost a grandparent, anyone who's lost a friend. And um, so everyone did that and then they were, of course, allowed to eat the rest of the jelly beans. Oh. Sorry, if you've like, lost which a lot of people, you don't eat? get as many jelly beans. But um, they... Everybody commented they couldn't believe how many jelly beans were in the jar. It was a lot more than there were people in the room. Mm. And they, you know, were surprised to see that every single color was in there. So see, someone in the room had lost a parent. Someone had lost right. a sibling. You know, that's this for is teenagers. Brilliant. I this think it's brilliant. brilliant. If I had a lot of money, I would probably invest in this because I think... It's amazing. And so then the the second thing the teenager said was show movies. Mm-hmm. And so they showed a clip from, you know, Grey's Anatomy, some cheesy, like, she comes miraculously back to life with, you know, being resuscitated and she's fine. And they were like, well, maybe not show Grey's Anatomy. Is this what it's really like? <laughs> well, they said, do you guys think this is what it's really oh, like? Okay. And then they showed a footage of an actual person in a situation like that and real end of life Good conversations, and everybody cried, and it was ve- apparently it was very powerful. This is great. If kids are the future, period, you know, and I think always getting kids, you know, getting them learning, getting them used to talking about these things, that's really how we change exactly. the conversation. I mean, or, it's almost like why, why bother? You're not going <laughs> to the greatest generation gonna... is locked in. Like yeah. we know that, <laughs> um, but you know, kids and teens. I love this. I could not feel better about hearing about this. Very excited. I know. I hope that it kind of expands because it's a. It would be a huge game changer. I yeah, and I'd love people to just hear don't more. know how to talk about these things at all because why because we never we never learned i'm imagining a teenager like saving their grandparent from like being coded or something isn't that amazing and that would be like a victory in this absolutely yeah so it's really good and um we're at the generation now where we really do need to be talking about this maybe they can talk to their parents the baby boomers about this because <laughs> the baby boomers are getting to the age now where they're starting to right. decline well over the next 20 years is that's what the death industry is really going to be dealing with and it's a large number of people so we're going to we really need to get on it <laughs> and it's a number of people that have different values than their parents had so it's probably going to look different than yeah, when mixed. my grandparents died you it's a mix between very traditional and very non-traditional right i mean uh, some of them had to have been flower children obviously. oh yes so i love me a definitely good flower child. that yeah there's definitely that uh contingency and then probably a lot of traditional a lot of traditional too you know so we're still facing that that there's something to be said about the grip of that quote-unquote traditional value on death and dying right um there was also a really interesting piece by a sound designer yoko sen Mm -hmm. so one of the big contingencies was uh 
designers, people who are helping to design new systems for end of life care for hospitals. Um, Ivor Williams, who was on the podcast previously, uh, actually, mm-hmm. he does a lot of studying the five senses at the end of life and what affects the body and uh, physical environments mm-hmm. and song and that kind of thing. Um, so she is a designer, a sound designer, um, and she creates sound environments for the people that for the patients. And then she also did something revolutionary. She, she got a room that she got the hospital to give her a small room and she turned it into a tranquility room Mm -hmm. and the people, the doctors and nurses could just go into the tranquility room and put, you know, put on these headphones and close their eyes and just relax. They need that. They need that. So another theme was they deserve that. Yeah, for sure. If you want to care for the dying, care for those who care for the dying. Seriously though, that's something I've been talking a lot about recently. But also I will say that sound therapy is very, it's, I've worked with it in the past. I work with a sound therapist and dying patients and it, it's just, it's just incredible. And I love to hear that these designers are creating something. It's, this is all so positive and going towards the future of helping us. That's just so. Yeah, it was very great. inspiring. And these were really, you know, I, as far as I could tell, some of the greatest minds in their field, well, very, yeah. very accomplished people. Well, even I use those singing bowls, yeah, you know, that's for right. unconscious yep. patients um, because of what I've read and these sort of things that prove that sound really has a way of connecting us to something. Someone once commented that it's, it felt and sounded like they were in a womb. So maybe there's like something to that, you know? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So she, this is fun. She asked all these different people, what is the last sound you want to hear before you die? And I'll share with you what some of their answers were, but I'm curious what yours is. I, two pops, two things popped in my head, the ocean and the beach boys. I don't know why, but that was immediate. (laughs) So that must be the answer. (laughs) Kokomo or something. I'm a California girl if there ever was one. That was a very (laughs) California girl answer to be sure. Um, Let's see. What I'm else before curious. we wrap up? Well, yeah. I wanted to hear other people's oh, answers. Oh, well, definitely the ocean. Mm-hmm. Their children laughing. One woman said, my husband's fart. And I thought that was amazing. They must have a very intimate relationship. <laughs> they have a very intimate relationship. I think he'd be more than that hearing that. Just, <laughs> yeah, right? I loved that because it was just like the most ordinary thing and comfortable thing. Comfortable thing. But there was a lot of people that, there were a lot of people that said laughter, a lot of people that said, oh, this one bird that was outside my childhood home. Not that sound, by the way. We have a honking <laughs> bike going by. Yeah. But I also thought of the ocean. Yeah. It was, in, that was a very instantaneous response. Mm-hmm. So, And water was the, probably the number one response that she got. Sometimes it was a mm-hmm. river or a stream or a waterfall, but That's good to know. often the ocean. So I think I'm going to invest in some kind of noisemaker. They're not that, you can even get apps on your phone. That I have it, those. So. I always feel like that's a little cheesy, but sometimes I put them on. Yeah. Um, okay. Before we wrap up. Wow. Yeah. Do you have, I want to go into really quick psilocybin. Anthony P. Bozis, who we uh, will be in the When You Die documentary. Awesome. He is leading the way in research about w- how psilocybin can be helpful for 
the dying. I bet. And it basically, I forget the statistic, but some astounding number, like in the 70s percentile um, of people who did this study who were terminally ill and had cancer and Mm -hmm. um, took mushrooms, Mm -hmm. they all, almost all reported having a very decreased fear of death afterward. Yes. And they said things like, it's all love. Yeah. And, you know, it's, yes. they saw the kind of non-solidity of reality and that it's all love, it's all joy was kind of right. things that they came back to, not when they were high, afterward. Right. So they're sort of experiencing it. So psilocybin is um, a hallucinogen Magic mushrooms. Magic mushrooms, essentially. And um, they are used a lot in therapy to sort of get people to... It's almost like seeing the bigger picture. Exactly. It it was a very spiritual experience for people. And they seemed to see some sort of okayness with death. and And some sort of... A lot of the quotes were, life and death are not separate, death death is part of life, mm-hmm. circle of life, that kind of thing. And it was like yeah. it shifted their view and they felt so much more okay with it. It's an interconnectedness. And I think people experience that, you know, with the plants around them, the animals around them, with themselves. And it's actually one of the safest drugs, you know, for people who are like, oh my God. Right. It's, it's it, a self-limiting drug. It's, it's very not like safe. cocaine. Yeah. You can't overdose on it or anything like that it's you know and a lot of people don't want to do it like in a row no um and a lot of people really have sacred and beautiful experiences that change the way that they view life and death on these things and it's incredible it's totally incredible the thing is like people hallucinate whether they do drugs or not by the way and i think that's sort of something that people get afraid of like oh i don't want to hallucinate because that kind right. of trips us out but it happens it happens also <laughs> have you ever had a dream i mean yes we we do go into that yeah so that was one of the themes uh, of the whole thing also was death is not the enemy of life Right, And we look at it as such, and that's why we're afraid to talk about it, and that's why we don't have better policies, and that's why we don't have, you know, we don't plan with our families. Yeah. Because we think it's the opposite of life or the enemy of life. Yeah. I think we should, you know, those like world peace um, posters where everyone's holding hand around the world. Yes. We need to include a little Grim Reaper in there. Yeah. So he can hold hands <laughs> he, with us too. Totally. He needs to be included. You should <laughs> sketch that up for your Instagram. <laughs> yes. Um, there was also talk about, oh, but if we're going to change the systems, it's going to be expensive. And they yeah, really emphasize, you know what, actually no, because if we're listening to patients, it lowers costs. You know, you have people that are getting palliative chemo that wouldn't actually want palliative chemo if they understood the whole situation. Exactly. So you're wasting they would be money at home. On, mm-hmm. And so the idea was that we actually could save money, d- save money, or at least stay the same with much more care for people. Yes, it's, yeah, it's, the policy stuff is going to be a huge, you know, it's, that's a huge piece of all this. So I applaud people that can get in those trenches and really do some, some work. Mm -hmm. I'd love to be a part of it. It just frustrates me too much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's. It's not quite as powerfully poignant as holding someone's hand as they're yeah. taking their last breath. And playing ocean sounds. And playing ocean I'm, sounds. I'm bringing those I next time. I think we agree. Ocean is the way to go out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
All right. Well, I guess we should probably wrap up here. Uh, but I, you've me given me hope. Little... I'm glad it yes. was. Very, it gave me a lot of hope. It was very inspiring, actually. I'm I'm really happy. Um. So I think there's. I could go on for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh. But I wanted to. But we'll wrap up, and I want to just go back to some of the main themes to end on. Healing and curing are two different things, mm-hmm. and both need to yes. have their own mm-hmm. attention. Death unifies beyond race, class, and age. Yep. Something we all need to face. Everybody dies. Uh, 97% of people report wanting palliative care. 70%, and some said 80, 70 to 80% uh, want to die at home, and only 30% do. Hmm. Yeah, that's a big number. And four in ten will end up being the people that care for their parents. Yeah, that's a we could do a whole nother show on that. I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, So death is a human experience, not a medical one, is something that I wrote down because it was a really big theme. Is humanizing the whole thing is going to make it a much better experience. Ask me, don't assume was also a, a theme because there were a lot of stories where it was assumed that they would want X, Y, or Z or that a loved one would. And yeah. so that was a really big drumbeat of it was how do we get these conversations happening where, where the patients are being asked on these I know. think we just need a sign above their bed that <sighs> says, ask me, That's don't assume. That's a really simple solution. Honestly. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please. Yeah. Ask me. Embracing fear of death will help us live well was another one, of course. We're trying. <laughs> and the, the last thing is it's about the culture, stupid. That's what some, the last speaker said. He said it's mm-hmm. about the culture, and that's what he realized. Yeah. This was the man whose mother mm-hmm. had not been resuscitated, and he realized, oh, it's, it's, the, it's not the hospital culture mm-hmm. to, to do that. So that was the problem. Right. And mm-hmm. so his idea is that we focus on shifting our cultural viewpoint, mm-hmm. and other things will then naturally follow and fall into place. Money will fall into place, and care will fall into place. Yeah. Well, we're we're trying. I think a big part of that is educating those kids, educating those teenagers. Yeah, death ed. That was my favorite panel death of all. Ed. Go death ed. Oh my god, I will teach that for Los Angeles County. Yeah, please do. <laughs> we'll go please for do. it. <laughs> well, thank you as always, Jill. Oh, Delightful thank you. to have you on. Much yes. more interesting than if I had just been here blabbering on my own. So I like being you. the resident death advisor. You, you know? are, and as my neighbor, <laughs> you're literally the resident yes. death advisor. <laughs> This conversation is brought to you by the When You Die Project. From existential afterlife questions to palliative care and the nuts and bolts of green burial, if it has to do with death, we're talking about it. WhenYouDie.org